Good afternoon. Sorry to have kept you waiting. My name is John Herbst, and I'm the director of the DNU Patrizio Eurasia Center. We've got a somewhat unusual event for you this afternoon. We're going to talk about the Russian diaspora, why there is a Russian diaspora, and we have an excellent panel to do that. Uh, we have Evgenia Chirikova, and I'm not going to read her bio, bio because you, ha you all have a sheet and we want to get to the conversation. We have Dr. Sergei Yerofeyev. We have uh, Mr. Mikhail Kokoric. And we have, of course, we have our own Alina Dr. Polyakova. Uh, very interesting, if a somewhat wonky subject, but it's a wonky subject to give you insight into a much larger question regarding what's going on in Russia today. And with that, uh, this is a, uh, we'll, we'll start. I should just mention that we are uh, the, we are at, what is it, Russia Factor. The hashtag is Russia Factor, if you're following us on Twitter. And with that, we'll start. And it's a Davos forum, so I'll be asking questions of our panelists. And then we'll have a, have a chance for the audience to ask questions as well. So I'd like to start with Alina. If you could give us some sense regarding the numbers coming out of Russia since Mr. Putin took over and um, the broad pictures. Uh, thank you, Ambassador. Uh, I think the reason we're having this event is uh, because many of us who have been observing um, just casually in our own experience have noticed that uh, many cities in the United States and many specific sectors in the United States are, often have a lot of Russian speakers in them. Uh, some of our guests are from the Bay Area. They can speak to this. Uh, I spent some time there as well, and also seem, it seems to me the entire tech sector is becoming uh, a Russian-speaking sector. And we have to ask ourselves why. Are we really seeing uh, more and more people leaving uh, Russia? Or is this part of a much older immigration from the Soviet Union? But actually, if we look at the numbers, these are official numbers uh, that are kept by the, by the Russian Federation, uh, the Russian Statistics Service, Federal State Statistics Service. Um, between 2000 and 2014, so since uh, Putin took office in 2000 for the first time, approximately 1.5 to 1.8 million Russians left Russia under his watch. And this trend has only intensified since 2012. So we're now in Putin's third term, official third term, um, and since that time, since 2012, uh, according to Russia's own statistics, the number of Russians has skyrocketed, those who are leaving. Uh, in just 2013-2014, uh, almost 500,000 Russians left the Russian Federation. And if we think about Russia, it's not a huge country. Uh, the population there is already declining because of demographic problems. Uh, and the fact that you have this out-migration is a significant think, national security threat to the Russian Federation. And a lot of the anecdotal evidence that we've been seeing, reporting interviews with these individuals, some of them are here with us today, um, is that they're qualitatively different than those who left during the Soviet days. Of course, the largest immigration wave happened in the early 90s when the Soviet Union fell apart. And you know, there are estimates that 800,000 scientists, so highly skilled, highly trained individuals, left Russia uh, since 1991. But what we're seeing is that these numbers of the highly skilled, the well-educated, basically the, the very individuals who should be staying in Russia to build the economy, diversify the economy, to make it a successful uh, economic power, uh, a great power in the economic sense, those are the individuals that are abandoning their country. Uh, and, it is, and it is our suspicion that this will be, over time, the number one threat to the Russian Federation as it seeks to uh, gain its foothold in the world again. So that's just to start us off. These are the kind of numbers we're seeing. I think they're troubling. Uh, we can argue a bit about the statistics, of course, uh, but it is, 
our hypothesis and our hunch that many of those who are leaving are not leaving because uh, of the Soviet days when there's a lot of repression and censorship. They're leaving because they have no economic opportunities to use their skills. And this is going to be detrimental to the Russian Federation. Alina, thank you very much. I'd like to now ask Evgenia, are people in Russia, as far as you know, familiar with this problem? Are they aware of the numbers leaving? What do they think about this if they do? I think that really a horrible pro uh, problem for Russia that a lot of people recently move in Western countries, in America and Europe. But I think that it's not so big problem now because uh, time uh, change and uh, in last century it was a horrible process. Uh, uh, process. But now we have a best possibility to continue to help our motherland. And many immigrants uh, can continue to support Russian civil society and be more effective in the best. And I, let me introduce some examples. In this audience, I in, uh, saw my best friend, Natasha Budaeva, uh, Masha Kanevskaya, who continue their struggle and continue to be effective. And I end uh, my <laughs> modest experience. And I think that it's not so big problem. It's very good that we, uh, Russian people, have a chance to move and continue our activity. And I think that we need now support from uh, European and American civil society uh, because we have a problem with a monstrous system, I mean, uh, Kremlin uh, system, I mean uh, K KGB monstrous system, and of course we need you support for be effective. All right, what sort of support can Western civil society give? Uh, for me. Yes, for you. <laughs> uh, uh, first of uh, uh, this supporting, of course, it's voice, because a huge problem in, in Russia that we uh, don't have uh, independent media. And uh, I remind for you situation with Ildar Dadin. It's a very famous activist, and uh, I uh, expose for you situation with Ildar. He was very brave, and he uh, stayed with uh, pickets in middle of Moscow, with transparent against war in Ukraine, and he was arrested, and uh, uh, prisoned, and uh, he tortured in prison, and after that information about tortures against him in prison uh, was create a huge campaign. And many, many uh, immigrants uh, started campaign for support Dadin. And uh, many uh, media in uh, America, in Europe, uh, take this topic and help to disseminate this information. And I, I think that it's very important now in Russia because recently we have very inspiring uh, trend. Uh, we have a, a very good trend for increasing number of grassroots movement in Russia. Uh, and I think that we need to support this activity. Why? Because it's really unusual activity for Russia because in Soviet Union time, it was uh, really uh, impossible uh, to create uh, uh, grassroots activity. And uh, uh, this process started in 2010. If uh, it's needed, I can explain why it's started, uh, this process. And now we have dozens of grassroots groups 
in Russia. And if you uh, want to find more information about this uh, trend, you can find our portal, activatico.org, and find map with a lot of points and each of these points on the map of Russia, it's a different kind of social or environmental activity. And for us, very important support in uh, America, in Europe. And uh, it's very important if you help us to disseminate information, because we don't have independent media. It's first. And second, of course, we need a normal tools against uh, uh, corruptioners in Russia. And very important that you, American, adopt Magnitsky Act. It's will, it was very effective. It was very good. And uh, we need help with the investigation. And I, uh, I have a dream, one uh, type of support. Of course, it's really very difficult. But unfortunately, uh, Western uh, countries continues to sell oil, gas, and other fossil fuel from Russia. And what's to do Mr. Putin and his team with uh, this money? Uh, they spend this money for wars. They spend this money for propaganda, and they pay for this money for uh, uh, aggressive repression against Russian civil society. And I, need, I think that it's very important for European and American uh, society to change uh, their energy policy and use normal green energy and stop by uh, uh, oil and gas uh, from a dictatorship regime. Thank you very much. What you described is essentially a political problem, and you're looking for support for dealing with that political problem. But I think the issue of the emigration is not just, and maybe not even principally, a political problem as opposed to an economic one. And I'd like to now turn to Mikhail, um, your businessman. Um, you chose to leave Russia. Um, was that a natural decision for you, given the circumstances you faced? Yeah. Um, I think uh, the race of entrepreneurial migration from Russia to the United States somehow is pretty, it's pretty good sign actually for Russia. And it's a pretty normal process. I mean, definitely we face in Russia after like roaring 2000s, after these 10 years of the period of the exceptional growth where dozens and hundreds of thousands of people created their own business, there's some period of stagnation. And uh, many of these entrepreneurs uh, made a decision to move the entrepreneurial activity outside of Russia. And uh, this new wave of uh, migration is pretty new and unique to what we see in the, with the previous waves of migration. And for example, we've living by few years in Bay Area. We actually see this like a slices of migration, like geological uh, different geological eras, right. like the old migration, then people who came in the 90s just to work for tech companies. And now it's like it's a absolutely new generation of the migrants, the people who came to US to um, realize their ideas. Uh, their business ideas. Business ideas. Uh, they bring not only, not only ideas, they bring their own money. The, connection uh, how to raise this money from also like Rust, Russian and Eastern European sources. Uh, they also bring like a, a ties uh, with the Russian high-tech community because, I mean, if you're a Chinese entrepreneur, you probably use with a, like a Chinese labor to 
make, for example, your software. If you are Indian, you work with Bangalore. And if you are Russian, you probably work with the people who is in Moscow and Novosibirsk and uh, other cities. And I think it's an extremely uh, good sign for Russia, for, the, for current Russia and for future Russia and for civil society in Russia. Because uh, these um, uh, like, uh, ties between the migration and between entrepreneurs who is living on the Western world and pretty tightly integrated with the uh, companies and uh, with the peoples in Russia, it helps, first of all, to show that like, the life is different what it's shown by state TV, state media on the Western world. And actually, it's a source for potential growth also of Russian economy in future. You just said something very interesting that hadn't struck me before. You said these entrepreneurs coming out of Russia maintain their contacts back in, as you put it, Moscow or Novosibirsk. So in, in effect, your activity, well, in some cases, Russian entrepreneurial activity in Germany or the United States is employing Russians back in Russia. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not dozens of, it's hundreds of the thousands of uh, high-tech Russian uh, engineers, software mm -hmm. developers in Russia, not only in Russia, in Ukraine and Belarus, they are working for companies who is mostly founded by, let's say, again, Russian-speaking entrepreneurs. Right. I'm not dividing like a Russian out of Ukrainians or right. Belarusian. It's the same. Like, hmm. Hundreds of, maybe millions. I mean, it's the huge numbers of high-tech companies in Russia. One of examples, for example, the Luxoft. Luxoft, the company that actually in the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, uh, they're making a lot of software for like BMW, Mercedes, John Deere. And they have several thousands software developers in Russia, in Ukraine, in, like, uh, in all CIS countries. And it's like a... And is all the work that's being done uh, in Russia, in Ukraine, elsewhere, uh, being done long distance? Or do you, for example, go there and there are meetings and, and such? Yeah, it depends on a, um, if it's like small company, they just like working on a, like a, some remote basis with a small teams and even employ people directly, paying money directly to engineers. But the larger company with, let's say, more than 100 employees and uh, it's probably thousands of the company of this size. They definitely uh, have their own subsidiary or like a contractors who is working for them. So and it's like it's pretty active flow of the people. You can, you can, you can like uh, take any flights from from Moscow to Los Angeles or to New York. You will see a lot of people who is like traveling with just business needs. Right. The reason I ask that question is, this is an economic activity, an important economic activity, which has really not been affected by the difficult relations between Washington and Moscow. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, this economical activity, because it's not about market. Somehow, let's say, for example, in uh, one of our business, in one line of our business where it's involved satellite technology, it's definitely affected because of export control, export law. But if you are talking about software development, it's not affected. So it's the transactions the, uh, is pretty open. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Sergey, you're a sociologist. You can talk about these trends and, and with great learning. Uh, are there specific traits of the people who are coming out of Russia these days to settle, again, in Germany and Britain and the United States? Uh, these things have been around for, for a while now, uh, especially since mm, three, four years ago. 
And one of um, particular examples of publicizing certain data is uh, the publication by Strat Stratfor. And uh, many people now quote a diagram which shows very clearly how the uh, out-migration rates significantly dropped with the beginning of Putin's era from 2001-2002, and how they started to radically climb from 2011 and especially 2012. Uh, so there are uh, sociologists uh, who don't very much question this, but uh, the critical approach, both uh, in this country and in Russia, means that you should really look at that very carefully. Um, uh, the famous Levada Center, the pollster, which is considered to be more independent, not entirely, but more independent uh, in the country. Uh, they uh, say that uh, the uh, numbers don't even matter so much. What matters is the quality. Uh, um, what is behind uh, those figures, which do not practically change too much from year to year in the last three years. And the same has been expressed by a colleague of mine uh, from the university in Moscow where I worked, the director of the Institute of Demography, um, who said that uh, basically uh, what you see uh, is not so dramatic. Uh, but uh, what is dramatic really, and uh, this is also testified by people like Leonid Bershitsky of Bloomberg, his last year's publication on the Russian immigration, um, that uh, the profound changes, the loss of quality of human capital in Russia is still going on, and maybe even more dramatically than any, uh, um, any period before. Uh, asking your question, John, uh, what is the mark of this or that wave of out-migration from Russia? It's also pretty often uh, named like, you know, the. Uh, late Soviet, early post-Soviet migration was mostly ethnic. Uh, when those Jews and uh, Germans uh, and Turks and Greeks who wanted to leave the country, uh, they left um, as early as late 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, the next period of migration, which was very significant, but then dropped after the 1998 crisis, so within three years after that, there was a significant drop. But before that, uh, that out-migration mostly consisted of people who wanted to change their economic opportunities because the country was in a dismal economic situation for many people who had knowledge, skills, and uh, had some means to leave the country. So uh, what happened uh, very soon after that crisis, 1998, uh, so... 1999, the economy started to pick up. And what I noticed uh, was that some people started to return, those from uh, this country, from Israel, from Germany. There was a significant uh, reverse flow of people who wanted to uh, establish their businesses because some uh, regulations uh, were relaxed at the moment. And uh, there were some hopes that the country will pick up and uh, the taxation reform was also very important at that period, early 2000s, the early 2000s. But uh, soon people started to realize that you can't uh, get much, very much out of that, and especially from 2011. And that's uh, quite a true statement, that uh, the change of the political climate in, in the country 
significantly affected those who wanted to leave but uh, didn't do that for some reason before, or those who didn't want to leave but uh, could no longer continue with their normal economic activities or working in the knowledge economy. Okay, now you're the second person on this panel who said 2010, 2011 was a, crit a critical moment for increasing emigration. Why do you think that is? No, well, 2011, 2012, okay. I would say. And uh, we know that 2011 uh, marks uh, in the Russian political culture a very <coughs> important moment when uh, uh, Medvedev, then the president, announced at the United Russia Party Congress that he hands over the power back to Putin. And that's f uh, for what a uh, very large proportion of people involved in the new uh, industries and knowledge economy were not prepared. The so-called creative class uh, started to revolt internally. Uh, and soon after the crackdown on um, that movement, which basically failed in 2012, um, with the new introduction of new repressive legislation, uh, it became clear that you can't really continue uh, in these context of growing corruption and not only corruption so it's a two it's a two-sided uh, threat okay. on the one hand you have that uh, growing yeah. economic uneasiness and but on the other hand you don't have the freedom Mikhail Yevgeny would you agree with that that yeah. is the reason why we've seen the uptick over the past five years yeah I think it's too simple like uh, to explain this uh, economic migration only by tightening political political system. I mean, entrepreneurs, people pretty cynical. They can work <laughs> in any political system, in China, India, like uh, in Russia. In order to understand like what the what dramatic change was in uh, like five years ago, it was following. I mean, if you look on a back in the 2000s, this like a 10 years, this was 10 years of the huge enormous growth in Russian economy. The actually, m many industries was created just from the scratch. If you come to, to 1999, in Russia, for example, retail, domestic retail didn't exist. The production of uh, like, a, the, like a, uh, fast moving consumer goods was like, all the stuff was only imported. Uh, Russia uh, imported like a, the food now it's one of the largest exporters. So during these 10 years, the growth in some sectors of economies was dozens of the percents per year. The, you can only compare this with the roaring 20s in the United States. The whole economy was created. And the size of opportunities was so big that people actually, people actually tolerated the political risk. They tolerated. I mean, because if you grow in like a dozens and dozens, if you can become billionaires in a few years, if you can earn this money, people came back a lot of uh, uh, migrants with a uh, good knowledge of uh, like, uh, for example, US like investment market, they moved back and become like a uh, famous Russian investment bankers <laughs> and started a lot of new businesses. But then uh, after changes uh, like uh, in a, uh, the, I mean, first of all, like the situation saturated. I mean, this growth cannot be forever. And second, the situation on a, uh, uh, oil market changed. So this like a oil pump that 
pumped Russian economy. That's just stopped. And at this time, at this time, people start more carefully looking at the risks that they have. I mean, because return is becoming moderate, even like negative. And then you have a choice: either you invest in Russia with a moderate return, but with a big, uh, uh, like, future political risk uncertainty, with a not perfect legal system. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, if you compare with the many CIS countries, it's not bad. If you are not involved in political activity, in most cases, you can. You can consider like pretty uh, uh, good judgment for economic, for example, stuff. But people start to uh, consider: does it make sense to take this risk with a smaller return? And so people start to invest outside and invest not only their money but also time, entrepreneurial energy, activity, labor. Okay. Alina, please. I'm sorry. Could I add? Well, actually, ask you a follow-up question. Um, you know, I think what you started talking about at the beginning was really interesting about the fact that many of the Russian speakers who uh, then become founders of businesses continue to employ many people they knew back in Russia or Belarus mm -hmm. or wherever. Um, and do you think, one, that the majority of the diversity we see um, in the tech sector in Russia is a result of this kind of external activity, that there's people from other foreign countries funding jobs in, in Russia, and there's not that much organic businesses. And my other question mm -hmm. for um, actually all of you then is, uh, how is this different than, let's say, any company hiring programmers, cheap labor in Vietnam, Thailand? Is there a profoundly different dynamic? Yeah, I think the main difference of Russian high-tech uh, high high sector out of like uh, many other countries, even European, that is pretty uh, self-sustained. I mean, if you look on the internet sector in Russia, especially in like a, when it was like you know, the maximum rate of development, it was pretty large in comparing with any like European markets. Like the biggest Russian IT companies, high-tech companies, was like Yandex, Mail.ru, Vkontakte. Yeah. Considerably big because of uh, the Cyrillic language. I mean, it's like a Cyrillic uh, um, uh, several hundred couple hundred, two hundred, three hundred million people in the Cyrillic languages uh, uh, area. And uh, the people who worked in these companies, who started these companies, who observed these companies, uh, these, these people become uh, high-tech entrepreneurs. Many people from Yandex, many people from other companies, Mail.ru, uh, software guys, like business guys. This is like the fuel that actually then start to fuel all this like rational high-tech uh, high industry. Please. And uh, for me, it's really very interesting, uh, let's say, uh, Mikhail and Sergey. It's really very interesting because I never uh, control uh, who left Russia. It was not so interesting for me long time. And I, uh, for me, it's a new information and it's really very interesting. Thank you. I check uh, who left Russia. Um, I mean uh, political activists. And I know then uh, my friend, political activist, left Russia after react of Putin regime for our huge uh, campaign against unfair election in 2012. After this was open uh, a huge number of criminal cases against many activists. And uh, these uh, people need to move in Western countries. It was a question of themselves, safety. Uh, and uh, uh, I think that uh, many people from independent NGOs, 
Russian independent NGOs mm -hmm. needed to move investors, and uh, uh, some of them uh, became refugees, uh, like Nadia Kutepova from mm -hmm. NGO uh, Planet of Hope. Uh, she became re refugees and she lives now in France. And why they uh, do it? Uh, because uh, was adopted horrible uh, law about foreign agency and many very respectable and very important Russian NGOs were closed. And of course, people who work in NGO understand it, that it's really uh, very dangerous to stay in Russia. Why? Because I have example uh, how uh, members of uh, NGO, I mean uh, memorial in Karelia, uh, now uh, <coughs> stay in prison. I mean uh, Yuri Dmitriev mm -hmm. from Karelian Memorial. He stay in Dmitriev. Uh, he, uh, he stay in prison. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, political uh, uh, activists <coughs> and uh, uh, politicians who need to move in, uh, in Western, it was uh, people who uh, really want to support Russia and really to want to continue uh, their struggle and really want to change uh, regime in Russia. And I think that it's very good uh, because I have very best example about um, uh, really good help uh, from uh, political immigrants, uh, uh, immigrates uh, many years ago. Uh, I mean uh, immigrates from Estonia. Estonia was occupied by the Soviet Union, uh, and uh, a lot of Estonians need uh, to, uh, to move in uh, Sweden, in, uh, in other countries, and uh, this, uh, it was a huge number of uh, population, uh, of people. And these people continue to support uh, uh, citizens who stay in Estonia and continue to uh, support uh, uh, people who work against Soviet Union regime. And these people, political immigrants, very help for uh, change regime in Estonia. And when regime was changed, uh, they return in Estonia and help uh, for uh, democracy process in Estonia. And I think it was very inspiring example for us, uh, immigrants from Russia, because we have a good change to return in case of stagnation of Putin regime and help for our, our motherland to change uh, this horrible situation. And I think uh, that it's Estonian, uh, uh, for me, it's very inspiring, uh, inspiring uh, example. Okay. okay um, if you want to well, I just wanted to say that uh, we're in full accordance with uh, what Mikhail said and what uh, Evgenia says. Uh, we really have to differentiate when we look at the causes and particular uh, the factors connected with the state power in Russia, uh, so that we see uh, that there are certain uh, uh, factors that affect uh, people's economic behavior. And once the situation changes, um, you know, the uh, conjuncture for the oil prices in the world market changes as Michael says, people start to think about other markets and where they can uh, get better profit. At the same time, uh, uh, the um, political climate in the country changes. And uh, for everybody, uh, for the social activists, for those who had certain hopes for new civil uh, society in Russia, and also for entrepreneurs, 
And the third category could be uh, those who work in the knowledge economy, uh, scholars who continue to leave Russia. Uh, for everybody, uh, this political climate change was very significant. And you um, have it kind of very obvious. The other side where we should uh, really <coughs> differentiate is that uh, there's no just uh, one bulk uh, Russian out-migration. First of all, uh, those who leave Russia don't leave it uh, forever like it happened in, before the collapse of the Soviet Union. They uh, retain their Russian passports. Uh, they very often still have economic ties uh, with the country. They may even continue their joint business with Russia. Um, it's not that easy as it was in the 2000s, but sometimes it continues. So uh, there are uh, different groups of people. Those who leave the country very pessimistic, who don't believe that uh, good times will return, uh, that we, um, ahead of us there lie decades of uh, um, you know, bad governance and stagnation. So more often people started to talk now about Russia as a second Argentina. Um, other people think that, uh, well, uh, I leave the country because I have a better economic opportunity working in Germany or in the United States. I don't think so much about politics. I didn't care so much before. I don't care very much now. But we don't know exactly what is the proportion of those people. And uh, there might be still yet another group of people who are uh, more idealistic those who would like to engage in the things which uh, really modernize country, not only economically, like for example, environmentalists. Uh, Evgenia is one example, but there are many other examples like people in the Krasnodar Krai, in the Russian North Caucasus, which suffered from uh, real political repression in the area of environmental uh, control and when they tried to fight corruption in the Russian North Caucasus, uh, and uh, really faced uh, severe repression on the grounds that they try to protect the environment against, against the corruption. So um, there are multiple examples of that. So this third category of people is very diverse, and you sh should really further differentiate within that group okay, in, if you want to understand the character of uh, this current out-migration from Russia. Alina wants to jump in. Let me ask one question before I ask, turn the floor to her. Uh, it's clear we're hearing from, you might say, a political perspective on this panel and from a business or an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, different reasons for people leaving. Is there serious um, interaction between the political side and the business side and the diaspora here? Yeah, um, yeah I think it, it definitely will be simplification to tell that the reason for entrepreneurs uh, to find like new opportunities abroad only economical. We definitely also like uh, the feel the overall like deterioration of situation. Especially it's like a, you can feel it after like medvedev terms that mm. when we had a hopes. And uh, when I've been in a, almost all uh, like uh, Balotnay meetings and so I saw a lot of my friends, entrepreneurs, like businessmen, even like pretty rich guys, like pre pretty rich guys and we all was pissed off with the situation with what's happening. And we all felt that uh, our country was stolen. Uh, uh, I think we were not fully like a right because nobody promised to give us 
back our country, even during the Medvedev term. But uh, yeah, uh, the overall, this, uh, this is like a additional uh, like motivation. It was to consider another opportunities, but not probably not primary, not primary, but additional pretty strong, pretty strong motivation. Okay, Alina, you want to? Right, I think there's also a, a bigger picture here. We're talking about the details of who makes up the group of this uh, new emigration, and I think the bigger picture to me is that if we look at who was leaving in the '90s and why, there's always you know push and pull factors, which you were talking about. Uh, that drive people to leave and also pull them towards other countries. And I think what's interesting about the difference between the immediate post-Soviet migration, what we're seeing in this new Putin-era migration, is that it is a profound, uh, I think, challenge to the social contract that the Putinist system uh, tried to have with the population, meaning that in the early 1990s, it was mass instability, economic, political. This drove a lot of people out um, at the end of the day to, uh, to permanent immigration, not just uh, business uh, immigration. Uh, I think now uh, Putin came to power in 2000 on the platform of restoring stability to the country, right? Ensuring economic growth or at least economic stability that you won't have the 90s anymore. And I think the social contract was well, you give up some of your rights um, in exchange for not repeating the horrors of the 1990s. And I think what we're seeing now is that social contract is crumbling because whatever stability the regime is able to provide, and yes, perhaps it is better than it was in the 1990s uh, in terms of economic stability. It's not great, but it's not terrible. Um, it's, it's failing to keep the people who should be driving the economy forward. And I think this is the, the profound problem with the regime. Interesting point. You want to comment on that? Uh -huh. oh. Yes. Oh, well, I totally agree. Uh, uh, when uh, you have uh, this great economic attractiveness in the mid nineteen uh, mid two thousands, when the oil prices were continue to rise, uh, when the effect of tax relaxation was still felt very strongly, and uh, when there was not so many new regulations, there was no uh, foreign agent uh, legislation, when uh, uh, but the corruption continued to grow. Things which uh, was not so easily noticeable by entrepreneurs and uh, citizens in general. So of course there are push and pull factors. And I already brought up uh, the example how some people started to return to conduct business in Russia in the early 2000s. Um, but, uh, you know, this broader picture is of course very complex. None of these uh, groups, entrepreneurs or social activists or you know, university professors or young university graduates, none of these groups uh, is just focused on one uh, aspect uh, which pushes or pull them, pulls them. Um, it actually calls for serious research, uh, complex research in what is today's uh, Russia's immigration. Of course, we acknowledge that there have been waves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but uh, we are blessed with the opportunity today that we have the most complex, if you want to continue this word, wave of immigration starting in 2012. Uh, because it's so remarkable in numbers, not as remarkable as some uh, figures uh, are quoted sometimes, but uh, more remarkable in its quality. 
It's the most ambiguous immigration. These are the people who have a whole spectrum of hopes or disappointments in what is going on in Russia or uh, between Russia and other uh, countries. So these are the people who I would dare say are probably the last flash of highly educated people. Mm. Because what we are expecting in the future is uh, probably some other kinds of um, groups of immigrants uh, to the United States, to Western Europe. But uh, that picture will change. They will no longer bet, um, be that educated. They will no longer have that experience as the people of the 1990s and 2000s. Uh, why I'm saying that? Because uh, the uh, education and science in Russia continue uh, to degrade, despite certain efforts of uh, so-called systemic liberals mm -hmm. uh, to conduct some partial reforms. Uh, the quality of university training, uh, school training, basically. So you are not going to experience any similar kind of uh, immigration influx from Russia in, in the future. So this is the unique opportunity, and I think that's very good that you decided to talk about that now, because this so-called wave is the most complex uh, in both its composition of who is on what spectrum of the economic or political. Uh, and also within those groups, uh, there are different uh, expectations and uh, different motivations. You just raised an interesting point that I had not heard before. It's well understood in, in, in the West that, for example, Gazprom does not do enough to develop new oil fields, so it's degrading its supply. So its future is going to be not as nice as its present or its past. You're saying the same thing is happening in the, in the area of education. So, uh, so are, you, are you actually saying that the rigor of science education, the rigor of mathematical education in Russia is declining? Well, it's uh, quite obvious in, uh, when you look at the quality of uh, high school graduates today. And uh, this um, unavoidably affects university training. Although in the recent years, the value of engineering uh, and uh, uh, you know, exact sciences uh, university study has increased. But uh, the country does not have those resources. I can uh, easily demonstrate so-called Russian cracks. This is like that. So this is the military and police expenditure going that way. And the expenditure for health, education, uh, all mm -hmm. social welfare goes this way. Mm -hmm. This is the Russian cross. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we don't uh, have any uh, uh, signs that this will improve in the coming years. With the oil prices, uh, the relative uh, budget expenditure on education, research and development has been declining. But the general pie has been shrinking. You know the state budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is probably not going to change. Where Even uh, uh, the governmental official acknowledge that we're probably facing many years of stagnation. And this will unavoidably affect uh, the possible future, uh, quality of the possible future out migration. Well, well, recently a senior Russian official spoke about no real improvements in the standard of living until 2035, so seven, 18 years 
from now. So you can. I want to little add uh, Sergey uh, because uh, uh, oil and uh, gas it's my favorite topic <laughs> because I'm an environmentalist and I think in very long time in Russia uh, when uh, price for oil and gas and other natural resources were very high a main uh, resource for Russian authorities uh, were not a people were this nature resource and now when a price for oil and uh, uh, coal and uh, uh, gas collapsed uh, Russian authorities have a problem uh, with money and they uh, need to find uh, ways for enrich themselves and what the kind of this ways uh, they, uh, they find uh, for example uh, they adopt unfair uh, taxes system and uh, uh, result of this uh, unfair taxes system is a, uh, I mean platinum system uh, it's a big uh, campaign of truck drivers because according to this platinum system truck drivers need to pay for using motorway uh, highways and the beneficiary of this platinum system is Arkady Rotenberg and his son. Uh, and Arkady Rotenberg is a huge Russian oligarch, close friend of Mr. Putin. And res uh, the result of uh, this uh, adopt of this platinum system was a huge uh, campaign of uh, truck drivers. And now they plan to organize a huge strike. Mm. And, I th and another example uh, of uh, um, uh, activity Russian authorities is adopt uh, different uh, uh, destroying green zones and national parks for infrastructure and development. And uh, the result, uh, ordinary citizens, ordinary people uh, lose uh, them green zones, lose uh, them normal uh, type of life. And, what to do ordinary people? They decide to answer for authorities and organize many, many grassroots groups. And I think that it's a bad situation with economy in Russia. It's a very good possibility for Russian civil society. And I think that uh, new uh, immigrants from Russia uh, during the time uh, to start it to support this trend in Russia. Uh, of course now uh, our immigrants, Russian immigrants, are very atomized. But I think that during the type, time, step by step, uh, political immigrants started to organize a campaign and foundations and uh, campaigns to support uh, process in uh, motherland, in Russia. And I think it's really a very inspiring trend. Okay, what you've just said is, this is your hope that the people who've come out of Russia will pay attention to Russia, provide resources to do this work. But you're, is this more a hope or is this a reality? Is this ha has this happened or is this something you're hoping to happen in the future? Awesome. I'm asking you and then we'll, we'll turn to the others. Uh, uh, may I, uh, okay, uh, I would jump in. Uh, uh, supportive Evgenia in that uh, and actually continuing my mm -hmm. previous point, that this is the unique moment in history. We never had uh, this kind of uh, Russian uh, immigration uh, in the West. By this type, uh, you mean high which, quality? 
Very well, we had high quality part of the early 1990s immigration was also high okay. quality. When okay. some people say that those were people who were not very skilled, it's not entirely true. Okay. There was some, uh, it was mixed. Okay. Uh, now it's true. Uh, the majority of these, those living are socially active, not only economically, but also socially yeah. active. They are disappointed they, uh, in uh, uh, the general political climate in the country. Uh, so these are uh, the people, and uh, there is a limited, uh, finite uh, number of such people, you know, and it, uh, this flow will not continue for very long. So these are the people who uh, retain very strong ties with the country, because they have gone through a very important emotional drama. Uh, they have gone through certain changes in their economic life, uh, so they're uh, in a way much more flexible. And of course, when you look back at the early 1990s uh, immigration from Russia, those people definitely will have much weaker ties with the country. They're much uh, more integrated uh, into the lives of other countries. Uh, they have already children who have grown uh, in other countries. But uh, these uh, people were uh, of different ages, by the way. Some of them are just university graduates. Some of them are um, successful entrepreneurs who are just about 40 years old. And there are also those people who are not too old yet, but very experienced, like 60 years university professors, uh, who decided to immigrate before they totally retire. Uh, so it's a very interesting mixture of those who still uh, retain very strong emotional info information links, uh, family links uh, with the country, which is no longer uh, lost for them forever like it was uh, 30 years ago. So it's a totally different situation. So I would agree that uh, um, understanding these people better, talking to them, and trying to figure out in what way they want to support is extremely important for those who still live in Russia, who fight in Russia, who want a better future for, for Russian education, for Russian health system, for Russian entrepreneurship and everything. So this is a unique moment and uh, uh, I think it, will ne it never was there before, maybe in some totally different uh, form in the 19th century, in the times of uh, Herzen's uh, journal called The Bell, Bell. the famous first emigrant ethics developed uh, by those closely associated with the Russian great literature of the 19th century. So uh, this is the unique moment in uh, history when uh, we can turn attention of these people, talk to them, and figure out how uh, they can actually help uh, to those uh, grassroots processes uh, which are going on right now. Uh, one particular very bright example is uh, the a political campaign for presidency of Alexei Navalny, mm -hmm. the one who actually uses the phrase uh, future, be beautiful future Russia. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the ideological markers, not liberal, not uh, conservative, but just, you know, uh, uh, very uh, similar to what uh, Martin Luther King used to say, I have a dream. Mm -hmm. So this is the time when Russia has a dream uh, carried by uh, a growing uh, uh, proportion of younger people. So when you look at the uh, gatherings around uh, regional Navalny centers in places like Yekaterinburg, uh, Novosibirsk, Samara, etc., you see young people. And uh, you realize that it's actually true that Navalny's campaign is financed 
by these people and those people who do not come, uh, but those who uh, really create uh, this new opportunity. So there is uh, uh, something new out there in Russia of which uh, this new Russian emigration here is not probably fully aware. Okay, I, I've just got to know what it really is to start the audience Q&A, but I want to ask one more question to our resident entrepreneur. Mikhail, would you agree that the business folks coming out of Russia are in fact paying close attention to what's going on at home and are supporting the the interest of the political activists here. Yeah, I think this is like definitely the distinctive difference between these waves of immigration and my our like uh, older, not older, the 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 another geological era of immigration. <laughs> so we uh, uh, we fully aware what's happening. Sometimes it's like a too much aware. So, sometimes I just stop me listening like Echo Moscow and trying to listen some like US uh, TV and radio. But uh, uh, definitely we have our own like a political opinion. Uh, we somehow continue uh, like either to support the some political movements in Russia by by some sponsorship by participation. So and it's like it's it's pretty different. And uh, just because we migrated at the age when we already had our own political opinion. And, uh, okay, thank you. Please. Thank you, Irv Chapman. Is Please it the identify yourself before you ask yeah, Irv Chapman, I work for Bloomberg. Is it uh, the, the case that Putin's attitude toward, uh, uh, unlike in the Cold War era when the Iron Curtain prevented anyone from emigrating who didn't like the system, uh, is it the case that Putin's attitude is if you don't like what I'm doing, go with God anywhere that will accept you. Uh, and also uh, in the Cold War era, diaspora from Eastern Europe in the United States was a political force for anti-communism. Is there any chance that the diaspora of Russians will be a political force in the United States to keep the sanctions going and press for democracy in Russia? You want to try this question? Well, I can take it. Uh, definitely we live in a different world today. And it's even very often said that uh, Putin could be possibly interested in as many people living in the country as possible. If you're critical of the regime, just you're free to go. Uh, it's a totally different question whether uh, those who have left want to do something about Russia. I don't think that there was a, will be a huge proportion of those who have left who will actively engage in changing Russia and helping those Russians who uh, stay behind. But this proportion can be very significant. Very significant. I would also add that to this earlier point on this being a really diverse and complex emigration, I also think it's a profound difference from the Soviet days where people that could get out were dissidents. They're political dissidents, many of them. I think much more than now. Uh, because it was rare to be able to get out until the, the mid to late 80s when you know, primarily Jews were able to leave. And so I think now, and this is again just based on reporting, there are many in the new diaspora who are not political. Right? They're not de facto against Putin. They may be against the fact that you know, they can't do their business in an effective way in Russia, but who cares? I can just go to the US, I can go to Germany, I can go to Israel and still employ people that I know and keep up and travel back and forth. So it's not a political force in the same sense that I think was the situation during the Soviet days because it's a much more complex wave. Okay. 
and I want a little add because uh, uh, I want to add what uh, I think important point. Uh, we have a different regime in Soviet Union and now because of course 100 years ago in 1917 uh, power in my country in Russia was uh, seized by terrorist group. Uh, them called themselves Red Terror. And uh, imagine then uh, power uh, take a group like ISIS and take this power during 70 years. It was monstrous experiment and result was uh, this experience was mass repressions and killed and tortured. And many millions of people was killed. But now, Unfortunately, leader of Russia, it's a man from same a terrorist organization from KGB. Uh, but a situation changing now. Uh, why? Because uh, Putin and his friends keep their money in Western countries. In Europe, in America, they buy luxuries in America, uh, buy yachts and uh, uh, beautiful houses in America, in England, uh, in Europe. Point and and uh, mission new immigrants, new political migrants, to work with this situation, to prepare uh, investigation against this corrupted scheme. And I think then a Western country is really very uh, comfortable place for political activists uh, to keep uh, to kick uh, uh, offshore stomach of Putin regime. And I think it's very good place, and uh, I am very happy because. Uh, um, uh, we prepare investigation about uh, corrupted scheme in our case, in uh, our movement, because we find, uh, I little explain for you, for understandable, uh, we have a horrible project, uh, highway through Himke Forest. And we find how uh, our taxes, we Russian citizens, pay for concessionaire of this pr uh, project Company 1C, it's a French company. And this French company disseminates this money in different offshore uh, uh, zones. And one of this offshore company, there is in Cyprus, and the uh, owner of this company is Arkady Rotenberg. And we, with our colleague NGO from France, prepare investigation and uh, uh, prepare a uh, uh, lawsuit uh, law about this corrupt scheme and send this lawsuit in French prosecutor. And now, first time in our history, our new history, was open a criminal case in a French prosecutor. And uh, uh, started uh, uh, police investigation uh, against Putin and Vansi company. And I think it's a first example. And I think that it's a process continue to grow. And uh, another activist uh, started to open criminal case against Russian corruptioners. Thank you. Yeah, I think we had a question over here. Uh, when did you get the microphone? Abdul Rafal Mughal. I'm a homeless academic, meaning independent scholar. I have. Uh, 
few um, uh, three comments on the on the presentation. Number one, it seems to me that we are making heavy weather of the. You might want to speak louder or put the microphone closer. It's hard to hear. It seems to me that uh, we we may be making heavy weather of emigration from Russia. Over the last decade or so, the labor market is is more and more global in nature. People are more educated and highly skilled people are moving across countries more often than they used to be. Also, and I, I, I've been working in the Middle East for the last uh, four, five, six years, and I, I see more and more Russians working in the United Arab Emirates. It's not only the West. Many, many countries have attracted Russian, you know, Russian brain and Russian, Russian skills. So it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the emigration of Russia, Russian is, can be looked from this perspective just part of the, the global wave of uh, increasing immigration of highly skilled and highly educated, uh, educated people as the labor market is becoming more integrated and globalized. Number, point number two, the characterization of the emigration as if there is a brain drain from Russia is probably not accurate because there is so much interaction, so much back and forth movement. It's more like circulation. Even people who have been, who uh, emigrated from Russia on a semi-permanent basis, it's like Russia is creating a hedge fund which they can draw upon when things improve, when political economic situation improves there. But the, the fall in the, the oil price, the oil revenue has declined and as uh, Alina mentioned that the social contract has been you know, crumbling. Okay? And people, the, the, the gap in the expected wage rate in Russia and other global market has increased, and that has attracted, pushed many people to seek better opportunities elsewhere. And when I say you know, expected wage rate, I mean not only the, the wage rate, but also the, the probability of finding a job. So the opportunities have dwindled, and that has pushed many Russians to seek opportunities outside. The third point I would like to make is that a lot of this emigration has been to back to the Central Asian countries uh, from where a lot of these uh, migrants, uh, uh, Russia is a major immigrant country. With the fall in the oil price, opportunities in Russia dwindle, and not only for Russia, but also for the immigrants from, uh, from Central Asia. Sir, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What is your question? The, the, question, what I, the question is the following. I don't see much information, uh, detail in terms of who are the people who are emigrating, what is the, their uh, education uh, and, and, and skill profile, where they are going, which they, uh, the, the, so is there any, any significant difference between the wave, the current wave, and the wave that emigrated earlier to characterize the current emigration as something qualitatively different? From the other. That's my question. So I, I don't see a lot of breakdown or, or detail in terms of the, the skill composition. I, I think as some of us have said, there, there are qualitative differences between the waves, particularly the wave that left in the immediate post-Soviet period in the 1990s and those that are leaving now in terms of their socioeconomic background, uh, their, maybe not their educational background, but certainly their, their economic standing in society, and probably also their political views. But I think the big issue here is that we don't know that much about this new wave. It's relatively new, um, and we've seen some reporting based on interviews of specific individuals, but this has not been, I would say, broad enough to be able to draw really conclusive uh, assumptions based on it, because 
you know, it's difficult to track people. Uh, it's very difficult to track people. We do have information that is anecdotal at the, mo at the moment, that these are qualitatively different waves of immigration. And I don't know if you want to add to that, Sergey. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, because we have, let's, let's move on to the next question. You're right that there's not enough data. There's a fair amount of information, which especially Sergey and Alina pointed to. Um, but this is a teaser. We're going to be doing a study on this. Correct. And come back in about 18 months, and we will have <laughs> serious data looking at this. Now, with that, mm. we have, I see three questions. We'll do one, two, three, and um, we'll take them all together because it's about 12 minutes left, and then we'll answer them as a group. So please. Hi, my name is MJ Crawford, State Department. Uh, my question is, are there any current tensions that exist between Russians that have chosen to move abroad and Russians that have chosen to either stay in Russia or uh, did not, were not able to choose to stay. Okay, um, and just wanted to know uh, if, um, if in five years the Estonia example happens in Russia, to what degree is Ukraine's early days with taking Ukrainian Americans and bringing them into government, to what degree might that be an example? Okay, thank you. Then question in the back and then over here on the other side. Uh, my name is Yuri Terekov. I am an editor of Rufabula. Uh, there is not a uh, secret that we Russians do not trust each other, and that's why we do not, we, uh, we do, we do not organize in a stable and big diaspora abroad. Do you have that fear that uh, this new wave of immigration will be dissolved as uh, all the previous ones did? Okay, thank you. Thank you. And the third question on the side here. Yeah, hi, my name is Mindy Reiser, a number of affiliations that are relevant. Um, with regard to the sociologist, I want to ask you about the impact of foreign educational institutions that have uh, decamped to the former Soviet Union in, in Russia, setting up colleges, opportunities for MOOCs, all sorts of internet-enabled education. Can this meet some of the challenges? I like the point that the entrepreneur made um, about circulation of information, developments in software, other intellectual breakthroughs. So some of that is recirculating, but I think you were arguing that the basic capital infrastructure of higher education has declined, and I think you'd probably say that additions or increments won't replace it. I'd like your comment on that. Why don't we start with that, and then we'll have the whole panel. Uh, okay, well, history repeats itself. Uh, there have been waves when Russians, uh, young Russians were sent abroad, starting from the times of Peter the Great. And uh, um, today's Russians are as thirsty, maybe even more thirsty for, uh, um, you know, cutting edge knowledge as ever. And uh, recently there was a very interesting story when the daughter of Putin's press secretary, Mr. Peskov, who lives <laughs> in France, uh, reported that she loves Paris, she loves to live there, and she would never study in Russia. Well, there are some good places in Russia where you can study. <laughs> Two universities in which I worked for sure. Um, but uh, uh, this demonstrates that uh, the elite has their children abroad as a major asset. They invest into the future maybe for their children, unconscious of the fact that this may affect the future of the country as well, if the whole 
situation changes, which brings us back to the question whether uh, this uh, current immigration can in some f future affect uh, uh, the building of the new Russia. If it changes, you know, uh, there is one example, for example, Sergei Guriev, who is the chief economist of the, uh, in Europe today, and uh, he was the rector of a very progressive Russian economic school, new economic school, it's called. And uh, if people are like that invited back to Russia uh, to assist the new government, that will be a huge, huge benefit. But it's also true that uh, significant part of this new immigration will probably be just absorbed, absorbed and dissolved, because there is always a certain number of people who will not care. Okay, the other questions were about relations between Russians who left and Russians who remain, and also the question of whether the Russians in the diaspora are able to organize themselves, um, or is there a distrust which prevents that? So, uh, Elfleth, mm -hmm. please. I ask. Uh, I think uh, that uh, all Russian citizens uh, are a victim of uh, terrorist organization, of uh, f uh, FSB, KGB, different names. And I think that really we have a problem with uh, 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 these skills to organize something. We have these problems, yes, and we need time because we want uh, we were in hand of terrorists during 70 years, and what do you want after that? And uh, now we have a very good, very inspiring process. Mm -hmm. People beginning started to organize uh, grassroots groups in Russia, and I think that it's really a very inspiring process because this uh, this change, this activity, changed mining of people, uh, and people became uh, more active and understand why it's needed uh, election and uh, uh, normal courts and uh, normal police and normal media, and they uh, started to have demand for democracy, and this really very changed society, and its process going now. And I think that uh, immigrants have the same problems, and we don't have skills to organize something. Uh, some, something. And I think that during the time, uh, we, uh, we do it. But we need a time. And I think then uh, we really uh, need experience of Europe and America. And very important to take uh, uh, for us uh, European and American educations. And I think the role of this education is very important for Russian citizens. It's really very important. For me, 10 years ago, uh, I, I don't have experience with grassroots activity. I was not politicians, and I don't have this experience, and I need uh, this knowledge uh, about uh, uh, campaigning grassroots. And uh, where I take information? I take information from European grassroots activists, from American grassroots activists. It's very helped me, and I think the role of uh, American and European education uh, very important for Russian civil society. Yeah. You want to jump in? Yeah. Um, I just would probably put a couple of remarks. Uh, first of all, I think we should not, uh, I mean, the current political regime in Russia, it's not like a, it's not evil, it's not absolute evil regime. 
it's first I mean you can you can compare with the Soviet time even like late Soviet time regime was not absolute evil it's not like during the Stalin time and now uh, most of the people who is in a in a in a power in authority I think even Mr. Putin they have just like a best intention for the country they just trying to do the best very logically what they think they just don't know how to do it they have in this situation and they see the situation how they see uh, uh, do not have like good uh, resolution, so they're trying to do some something that is actually harm, for example, business or political activism. And uh, like in, in 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 Russia, most probably the reforms and changing will be from inside the elite, because most of the people as elite actually understand that the situation is. I mean, a situation that needs to be changed. Either it will be after the next term of Mr. Putin, during the next term, we don't know. And uh, whether our, uh, as a people who is like immigrants, skills and experience will be welcomed, I think probably the decision also will be done by people who will stay there. Because if you look at, let's say, other CIS countries, examples like Ukraine, Estonia, why people came back into the into the like local politics because they were welcomed. Their experience, knowledge were welcomed. You will never come if it's not welcome. So situation needs to be changed. I think uh, first of all situation is it's it's not dark, it's not loom. I think it's like have all the chances to improve. Um, I mean the uh, we definitely have some very big problems. It's an authoritarian uh, regime and uh, but uh, most of the people even in elite understand that uh, situation is wrong and need to be changed. Okay, thank you, Alina. Just a quick point on the Ukrainian diaspora versus the, the new diaspora, Russian diaspora. I think the big difference is that the Ukrainian diaspora that end up in Canada and the United States, uh, at this point, it's second and usually third generation. And these are people who left in the interwar period primarily uh, from Ukraine. They, it was an ethnic migration, it was a religious migration. There's an overlap of those two factors, ethnic and religious identities. And it was relatively homogenous in that, in that way. So, and a bit of an outlier when it comes to migration from Europe. Usually when Europeans immigrate within two generations, the language is lost. Uh, this is the case in the United States. And the culture is lost, meaning assimilation is a very powerful force, particularly in the United States and Canada. So the Ukrainian diaspora is profoundly different because in, in many of those cases, not everybody, but many, they form communities, they kept the language, they kept the traditions, the religious traditions, et cetera. So this is not the case of this new migration, right? So then of course, because they remain politically active and then they invested the money they earned in Canada and the United States into research on Ukraine, into politics in Ukraine. So then when you had the fall in 91, it was, they were ready. They were engaged with the politics, they, were, they spoke the language, uh, they were ready to go back, right? Those that wanted to. And many third generation that were born in, and their parents were born in, in Canada or the United States went back. And this is a profoundly different kind of group than what we're talking about, which is incredibly heterogeneous, very divided on SES, socioeconomic status, religious beliefs, uh, maybe even ethnic identities, religious identities. So I think that is the problem there, that how do you, what do you unite around 
And there's, of course, potential to activate a political consciousness, if you pardon my Marxist term, but I think that is a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, you want to well, I fully agree with Alina. I think we're minute. coming to a great summary of uh, how fascinating and uh, complex this current immigration is. But I don't uh, quite agree with Mikhail, who says that it will be all decided by the elites. Uh, this never happens without certain pressure from the grassroots, from the society. And the history of democratization in the 20th century, especially in Latin America, has shown that. Uh, but I do agree that the uh, Russian current political regime is not so monstrous as it was in the times of Stalin. And uh, there are certain points where can, you can pressure the situation. And they always give up, unlike Stalin, they always give up with, uh, when the society is active. And uh, it's uh, another you know, possibility to look at who else who lives not in Russia today but feels part of Russia and how, how they can help. Okay. okay, thank you very much for coming. Let me just leave you with one thought. Uh, we don't know enough about this immigration. We do know that it is of very high quality. And we do know that a country cannot sustain a loss of people at this stature without implication, without consequences. What they are, hard to say, but come back in about 18 months and we'll have better answers. Thank you very much. <laughs>